1: Welcome, welcome to the Court of the Trashy Royals, where we assemble each Thursday to reveal and revel in the tales of our batters behaving badly. My name is Stacy. Hi friends, Alicia here. Thank you
0: so much for joining us today for the continuation, part 2 of Ducky and Ernie. You're not ready. <laughs> Princess Victoria Melita, Ducky of Edinburgh, mm-hmm. and Grand Duke Ernest of Hesse and by Rhine. Ducky and Ernie are way less naughty than all the folks around them, but seriously, super trashy Victorian times. Mm-hmm. Before we begin our episode today, we do have a few good nobles to thank for joining us over at patreon.com slash podcast, getting early and ad-free episodes for two bucks a month.
1: Thank you so much to Laura M. A. Spencer Hall. Misty S. and Maria for joining us there. Huge thanks to all of our Patreon good nobles. We
0: really, really appreciate your support of our trashy endeavors. Without any further ado, let us anon to the conclusion of Ducky and Ernie. Oh, you thought part one was something. Wait for part two. Part one was something. All right. This beginning section, Grandmama dies. Hmm. Ernie and Ducky divorce. So many people. So much outrage. It is January 22nd, 1901 that Ernie and Ducky's dear grandmama, Queen Victoria, passed away at the age of 81.
1: Well, at least they could grieve together.
0: (laughs) Victoria's death was just six months after Ducky's father, Prince Alfred, died at the age of 55. The death of Queen Victoria was a sad life event for Ernie and Ducky and their young daughter, Elizabeth. But it did mean, Victoria's passing, that finally, blessedly, Ernie and Ducky could get divorced. Within a month of Queen Victoria's funeral, Ducky left to be with her forbidden lover, Kirill. Oh, wow. The Russian guy. Okay. Yeah. Her second cousin, her cousin. Well, they're all cousins. (laughs) They had Kirill and Ducky long ago rekindled their romance, but they weren't able to do anything about it until now. But once Ducky is back in Coburg at her mother's home, she informs Ernie, her husband and cousin that she was seeking a divorce. Ducky would continue to live with her mother in Coburg part of the year, as well as her mother's winter home near Nice on the French Riviera during the rest of the year. Not bad. Nice sounds nice. I've heard Nice is very nice. Most of the family, everybody's got an opinion, most of them are against the divorce. But Ernie's eldest sister, this is Princess Victoria of Battenburg mother of Louis Mountbatten Mm. and future grandmother of Prince Philip was supportive of ending the marriage. Ernie writes a letter to his sister, Victoria, which reads now that I am calmer, I see the absolute impossibility of going on leading a life, which was killing her ducky and driving me nearly mad. For to keep up your spirits and a laughing face while ruin is staring you in the eyes and misery is tearing your heart to pieces is a struggle which is fruitless. I only tried for her sake. If I had not loved her so, I would have given it up long ago. Now, Ernie's unhappy in the marriage as well. Fair point, but Ernie, if he had his druthers, would have preferred to stay married for their daughter Elizabeth's sake and also because of the damage it would do to his reputation as the sovereign of the Grand Duchy. It was completely unheard of and, for most, absolutely unthinkable for a sovereign to legally terminate their marriage. Of course, yeah. But Ducky had made up her mind. She wanted a divorce from Ernie, and she wanted to marry Grand Duke Kirill. As such, it would be almost without exception that Ducky would be held responsible for the end of the marriage and the scandal that followed. So the little birds get out around all the courts of Europe, and everyone, seriously, everyone has something to say about it. Relatives on all sides of the equation, because everybody is related, are scandalized. They're outraged. Two relatives that were the most vocal about their outrage, Tsar Nicholas and Tsarina Alexandra. Remember, Alexandra is Ernie's sister. I was going to say Nicholas is Ernie's Uh brother-in-law. Uh-huh. But Alexandra is Ernie's sister and Ducky's first cousin on her father's side. Nicholas is also Ducky's first cousin on her mother's side. Obviously, Alexandra feels slighted because she's close to her brother and feels that Ducky has wronged him. She's also firmly against the concept of divorce. Alexandra's husband, Nicholas, thinks whatever Alexandra thinks. Okay, that's convenient. Remember that. Nicholas has no ideas really on his own. It's whatever Alexandra tells him to do. On October 27th, 1901, Tsar Nicholas writes a letter to his mother, the Dowager Empress, explaining the situation. I must inform you of a terrible and unexpectedly grave event. Can you imagine Ernie and Ducky are getting divorced? Yes, actually divorced. We heard of it three days before leaving Spala. Victoria sent a long letter to Irene and Alex with extracts from a letter from Aunt Marie's Ducky's mother to her. This is Grand Duchess Marie. In it, she explains to all her sisters that as far as she can see, the relations between Ernie and Ducky had been bad for some time past, that their estrangement was growing from day to day, and that in the end, divorce was the only possible way out. Such is Aunt Marie's opinion And duckies, too. Ernie, after a long struggle, has come to the same conclusion. It is all quite settled, and nothing left to do but for the ministers of Darmstadt and Coburg to arrange the legal side. All of this appeared to us so dreadfully sad and was so very unexpected that at first we thought Victoria must have gone out of her mind. But a few days later, Alex and Ella had the news confirmed by letter from Aunt Marie so that now there is no possible doubt left. All that time, nothing from them direct, not a word. At last, yesterday, a telegram from Ernie, saying that it is all definitely decided. I am instantly grieved and sorry for poor Alex. She tries to hide her sorrow. In a case like this, even for the loss of a dear person, is better than the general disgrace of a divorce. How sad to think of the future of them both, their poor little daughter, and all his countrymen. So this divorce brings everyone together, even enemies. So even the two family members who despise each other the absolute most are perfectly united in their disapproval of this divorce. Both were outraged, fully blamed Ducky for tarnishing the family's reputation. But even distant family members and relations show great interest in this
1: scandalous divorce despite it not affecting them at all. I'm sure from their perspective, some of it was just piercing the picture-perfect marriage, right? Like, the ruler is anointed by God, and you just, like, the the fairy tale is that, you know, these marriages are all happy, blessed unions, And, and obviously we are learning that was never the case at any point, and, you know, there there are examples of happy unions, but most were political affairs that
0: included a lot of affairs. Anyway, continue. Well, when you marry your cousin who's gay, I'm not anticipating a whole lot of success. Yeah. So even people who it doesn't even affect, they have things to say about it. The Grand Duchess of Mecklenburg-Strelitz wrote to her niece, this is the Duchess of York and later to be Queen Mary. Hmm. What truth is there in the Darmstadt divorce? The papers openly speak of it. Could they not agree? Ernie has been absent some time in Italy. What can it all mean? This is a fun one. I, I, love, love, I love all this pearl clutching. Uh, December 21st, 1901. This is awesome. The Supreme Court of the Grand Duchy dissolved their marriage based on the grounds of invincible mutual antipathy. Whoa. Never heard that one before. It's
1: an old formulation of (laughs) irreconcilable differences. That's exactly right.
0: Invincible, mutual, antipathy. Antipathy. Wow. (laughs) The ruling stated that their daughter, Elizabeth, would live with her mother for six months of the year and her father for the other six months, and that she would return to his court in Darmstadt when she reached adulthood. Elizabeth was far closer to her father, He was much more of the doting parent than Ducky was. This also may have been partially due to just the plain personality differences between Ernie and Ducky. But it's also important to remember that Ducky was 19 when Elizabeth was born. Ernie was several years older. He could have just possibly been more prepared to be a parent Mm -hmm. more so than Ducky at her young age. It is in 1903, though that Ernie and Ducky would experience the worst tragedy a parent can have. Ernie had taken their daughter to visit the Tsar and Tsarina and their four daughters. Their oldest daughter, Olga, and Elizabeth were the same age and they were great friends. One morning, Elizabeth woke up with a sore throat and she was having difficulty breathing. A doctor was called and at first... The doctor told them it was just from the change in diet and climate. Mm -hmm. But Elizabeth got worse and ended up with a fever of 104 degrees, and the doctor was called back. The doctor told the governess that Elizabeth was dying of heart failure. A heart specialist was called, and he injected her with camphor and caffeine multiple times a day, which appeared to be helping. But at some point, Elizabeth sat up and said, I'm dying, I'm dying. Send a telegram to mama immediately. Ducky, who was in Coburg at the time, was notified, but did not arrive before her eight-year-old daughter died.
1: This is terrible.
0: It was difficult for anyone to understand or accept what had happened. The day before she was sick, Elizabeth had been running around playing with her cousins an autopsy was performed and that determined that Elizabeth died from a particular lethal form of typhoid. She most likely got it from drinking contaminated water from a nearby stream. Mm. Even Kaiser Wilhelm, not known to be the most jovial chap, expressed his sorrow and sympathy over the loss of the sweet little princess. He wrote a letter to Tsar Nicholas upon hearing of the tragedy. Kaiser Wilhelm writes, it is impossible for me to pass over the sudden and tragic death of that sweet little sunshine. I feel for you all in this sad affair, how joyous and merry she was, so full of life and fun and health. What a terrible heart-rending blow for poor Ernie, who adored that little enchantress. I don't know if you remember from last week, I told you about the story, everything you think it's like every time you think it's the worst thing that's going to happen, you are incorrect. It just keeps getting worse. The bottom of the barrel. We're going to get there. Before we go to break, though, I do want to talk about one good thing that happened. I guess maybe Ernie gets remarried. Hmm. <laughs> On February second, to, to a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Nineteen oh five, Ernie married Princess Eleanor of solms hohen solms Lick. Probably correct. Soames <laughs> Solmes L I C H. It's probably correct. Probably. Princess Eleanor had always been called Onor by her friends and family, and together, Ernie and Onor would have two sons Prince George Donatus, who was the hereditary Grand Duke, and Prince Louis. Now, Onor is very different from Ducky. She is not the same type of passionate, strong-willed character. Princess Eleanor is much more down-to-earth, less charming, less exciting, less volatile. You could say just less. But she turned out to be a much better Grand Duchess and wife for Ernie. Eleanor takes her duties to the Grand Duchy very seriously and follows Pretty much in the footsteps of her mother-in-law, Princess Alice, in her approach to service and organizations and charities that owner works with.
1: Right, because Ducky had not liked to respond to letters and at events she would hang out with people she found delightful who may not be the powerful people who thought they were going to be spending time with... Yeah, okay. Next sentence.
0: Unlike Ducky, Mm. (laughs) she (laughs) dutifully went to appointments returned letters, talked to dignitaries, and assisted Ernie with everything that he needed to do. So Ernie's remarried, Ducky's out, Princess Elizabeth has died. We're going to take a quick break here to come back about Tsarina Alexandra throwing a hissy fit.
1: Love it. We'll see on the flip. Okay, so Ernie's settled. Ernie's doing great. Sounds like he got a decent partner. I mean, I won't speculate on the status of the intimacy of their marriage, but it sounds like they were going to work out as a team.
0: Oh, my sweet summer child. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about Ducky for a second. Her life was far less settled. Now, there is no attempt, no pretense for Ducky not to be madly in love now with Grand Duke Kirill after her divorce. However, the odds are firmly stacked against these lovers for them ever being able to marry and live happily ever after. The primary force working against our lovebirds here, Ducky and Kirill, was Zarina Alexandra. Mm. She was against divorce in the most severe way, but additionally, again, she's still super offended on behalf of her brother Ernie. For Tsarina Alex, at least in her eyes and her point of view, Ducky sliding Ernie was unforgivable.
1: So there is no way you can marry a Russian aristocrat. <laughs> well, Alexandra's determined to make sure that Ducky pays for mm-hmm. this. Yeah.
0: By being denied the one thing she wants, the ability to wed Grand Duke Kirill, the Tsar's cousin. Since... Kirill was a member of the Russian imperial family. Kirill needed Tsar Nicholas's permission mm-hmm. and approval to get married. Alexandra made sure Nicholas refused to give that permission. Nicholas does what Alexandra wants him to do. Right. Alexandra says no. The answer is no. Sure. Holding that grudge, grinding
1: that axe.
0: Now, it is also still against the rules of the Orthodox Church to allow first cousins to marry, which Ducky and Kirill were. However, Kirill don't care. He is willing to defy the laws and marry outside the church. But without the Tsar's consent, he's not allowed to legally marry at all. What does this mean for Ducky? She's in exile. She's abandoned, kind of cast out. And even her sister Missy... Of Romania. Over in Romania. Mm-hmm, yeah. Tried to help Ducky's case with the Tsar. Why not just invite them to come live in Romania? <laughs> when Missy gives birth to her second son in August 1903, she names him Nicholas and asks Tsar Nicholas to be his godfather. Just
1: Nicholas buttering up
0: happening. 100%. Okay. Nicholas accepted, but it doesn't help to change Nicholas's mind about Ducky and Kirill getting married because that's Alexandra's mind. Kirill was then sent off to the Far East on Russian Naval Service. I bet he was. Yeah, we're going to get you as far away from here as completely possible. Enjoy Siberia, boyo. Before Kirill left, the two had dinner together in Coburg. And Kirill later writes, She was in exile, and I was going to the unknown, to the uncertainty of a blank future. About one thing, both of us had no illusion whatever, that a mountain of obstacles to our happiness would arise, that every conceivable wheel of intrigue, coterie, and vetoes would be put into motion against us, and that we would be left to fight that sea of troubles alone with thousands of miles between us. By that time, I would be at the other end of the world, and the woman I cared for would have to defend herself as well as she could, and I would be unable to come to her aid. Time (laughs) uh, softens some family members. Over the next few years, Tsar Nicholas's sister Xenia would advocate on behalf of the couple. But nothing sways Alexandra, and without her approval... Nicholas is never going to give his consent for the marriage.
1: She's opening her own axe store in St. Petersburg, I believe. (laughs) Just grinding those axes out.
0: Well, you have to remember, Alexandra married Nicholas because Because, Ernie married mm -hmm. Ducky. That's my upstart cousin, man. Right. She
1: had been effectively the first lady of the kingdom and when when Ernie married. Yeah. Siblings.
0: Mm -hmm. Am I right? Am I right? Christina Croft, author of Queen Victoria's Granddaughters, writes... Such was Ducky's unhappiness that even her staunchly orthodox mother, the Tsar's aunt, pleased with the Tsar to allow her to marry Kirill in secret. With Alex vehemently opposed to the scheme, Nicholas stood firm. Okay, finally, it happens. October 8th, 1905. Kirill and Ducky decide they're going to get married no matter what. And sometimes it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission, and maybe Tsar Nikki would accept it once he knew it had already happened. For our lovebirds, they were unable to find a Russian priest who would perform the wedding without the consent of the Tsar Czar and Tsarina, so it was the Dowager Duchess of Coburg's private confessor, Father Smirnov, who married the couple. <laughs> On ice. On ice. After the couple had a brief honeymoon, Kirill left for St. Petersburg to tell his family that he had gotten married against their wishes. He begins by telling his parents, who are not at all surprised, they already approved of the union, no bigs. And that's a happy ending for that story, yeah? No, my Mm. sweet summer child. So, Kirill had planned to tell the Tsar and Tsarina the next day, but, da-da-da, Count Vladimir Fredericks, the minister at the imperial court, came to the family's home and presented the Tsar's ultimatum. Somebody had gotten to the Tsar first. Grand Duke Kirill was to be, quote, deprived of his honors, struck off the imperial navy list... Deprived of his income and had 48 hours to leave Russia, Author John Vanderkist writes, Everyone was convinced that the blame lay with the Tsarina. She had been angered by the publicity surrounding her brother's divorce, in which he had evidently been the wronged party. And when her former sister-in-law had the temerity to marry a close relation of her own husband, she declared angrily that she would, quote, never again receive a woman who had behaved so disgracefully and her husband must be punished as well, Hmm. She seems nice. Christina Croft described it this way in her Queen Victoria's Granddaughters. When the news reached Russia, Alex was incensed. Denying the Grand Duke access to Alexander Palace, she ensured that Nicholas imposed on him the full penalty for disobedience. Kirill was stripped of his titles and banished from the country. And thus, the family feud begins. Enter Steve Harvey. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Grand Duke, Kirill's parents were furious at the sentence passed on their son. Now, Kirill's parents already did not like the young Tsar czar and Tsarina, but now this lack of affection that they had for them turned to abject Hatred. Kirill's mother, Grand Duchess Vladimir, wrote in part, The situation had become impossible. We have done all we could these last four years to hinder this marriage, but their love refused to be separated. And so finally we considered it better for both Kirill's name and honor that the business should end with a wedding. We knew the matter would not pass off very smoothly here, and were ready for some passing unpleasantness. But the blind vindictiveness and rage of the young Tsarina has, for sheer malice, exceeded everything our wildest imagination could conceive. She stormed and raged like a lunatic, dragging her weak husband along with her until he lent her his power and so made it possible for her to revenge herself on her ex-sister-in-law, for marrying the man of her choice. This is how it was done. Scarcely had Kirill arrived when the house minister came with an order that he must leave Russia at once. The Tsarina wanted him to go that very night, but that would have been possible in a balloon. Then he was dismissed, the fleet and the army. He was to lose all uniforms and rank, to lose his regiment, which was conferred on him at birth by his grandfather, To lose his appanage, his name, his title. He was to go into perpetual banishment. And why all this? Because the Tsarina does not want her hated ex-sister-in-law in in the family. Kirill's father went directly to see the Tsar with his fury pants on. Mm -hmm. He marched into the Tsar's office demanding that his son be allowed to stay in the country and making his case for why he thought the punishment did not fit the crime. The Tsar would not budge. Grand Duke Vladimir slammed his fist down and tore the decorations off his uniform and threw them to the ground and slammed the door, cracking the door casing behind him.
1: In fairness, Russia is a country very familiar with crime and punishment.
0: Big mad. That was a funny joke, but Thanks. big mad. The Tsar responded only by accepting his uncle's resignation from his military offices. Kirill and Ducky were forced to leave Russia in exile. Possibly a big stroke of luck for them. Not necessarily. Oh. Winter is coming. <laughs> so let's talk about Ducky and Kirill's marriage and some very changed circumstances. Kirill and Ducky, out. Out exiled from Russia. They live in Coburg for a little while, then go to Paris, and by all accounts, they're content and happy despite the Tsar and Tsarina's reaction to their marriage. Two years after they married, Ducky gave birth to their first daughter, Maria, and converted to Russian Orthodoxy. The couple lives in Paris until after their second daughter, Kira, was born in 1909. Then in 1910, Tsar Nicholas humbled himself and restored Kirill's rank and titles. Tsar Nicholas also styled Ducky as her imperial highness, Grand Duchess Victoria Fedorovna.
1: Did Nikki too grow a spine here at long last? What happened? Not exactly.
0: Nikki had, you know, looked at the family trees, run some numbers. So many members of the imperial family had died... That Kirill was actually third in line to the throne. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. So it was a practical consideration, really. Tricky times. Tricky times. By 1915, the Tsar had softened his position enough that Kirill was made the supreme commander of the Imperial Army. Hmm. After that, Kirill was appointed commander of the palace guard of the Tsar. So third in line. Like, we can't ignore you anymore. Yeah. Plus, you have heirs. You have heirs, but also 1915. Yeah. Who else have you got? Your favorite guy in Russia? Hold up. Hold up. Okay. Because here, Tsar Nicholas, I guess you're third in line. I probably need to change my position. But this doesn't make things well between the family members. Because of the most dangerous man in Russia. Gregory Rasputin. You got it. Ducky knows how dangerous he is. Oh, really? Uh Uh-huh. She sees it. I'm glad somebody does. She foresees the impending downfall of the Imperial family. Ducky supports the assassination of Rasputin. She's all in for this plan. This guy is Danger Dan. Too bad he's basically unkillable, but go ahead. Different story, different day. In 1917, Ducky and Kirill had their last child, a son they named Vladimir. In 1917. I caught that. And soon after that... Mm, The
1: world changes a lot.
0: Everything changed. In 1917, Tsar Nicholas II abdicated. Kirill and his family wisely escaped Russia to go live in Finland. In July of 1918, the imperial family of Tsar Nicholas were murdered. This was not immediately confirmed, but the rumors of it were widespread Kirill and Ducky first heard about it in late 1918. In 1923, when the Russian Revolution ended, Kirill believed himself to be the rightful czar of Russia. On August 31, 1924, Kirill declared himself emperor of all the Russias. This caused a lot of controversy and criticism. In 1933, Ducky, bless her heart, discovered that Kirill had been regularly going to Paris for, you know, the occasional fling Hmm. whenever he felt like it. Ducky doesn't handle this well at all. The knowledge of Kirill's ongoing betrayal causes the two of them to become estranged. Ducky never forgives Kirill, but they never will divorce either. Interestingly, after Kirill's death, his son Vladimir declared himself to be the head of the Imperial House in 1938. When Vladimir died in 1992, his daughter Maria declared herself to be the head of the Imperial House. To those who do not believe in their right to succession, they are called pretenders to the throne.
1: But I think they aren't, because with Nicholas and his son Alexei murdered... If Carol was third in line, probably Carol, had had there been a throne to assume, would have had a valid claim. Well,
0: that's it. Pretenders to the throne. You have no throne. There's no throne there, so pretend all you want. It's a good, fun game. Shadow Monarch. (laughs) We're going to take another quick break here to get to tragedy. More tragedy and more tragedy. Fantastic. Can't wait. We'll be back in a minute.
1: All right, Alicia, bring the rafters down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Light the fires, friends. Winter is coming. So remember Ernie got married again to Princess Eleanor Onor? Mm -hmm. Their eldest son, George Donatus, will marry his first cousin, once removed, Princess Cecile of Greece and Denmark. Princess Cecile is the daughter of Princess Alice and Prince Andrew of Greece and Denmark. Princess Alice was the daughter of Ernie's eldest sister, Princess Victoria. Princess Cecile was one of the sisters of Prince Philip, the future Duke of Edinburgh and consort of Queen Elizabeth II. George Donatus and Cecile get married February 2, 1931, While Princess Alice was in a sanatorium, the thing you need to know is both Don and Cecile were members of the Nazi party. Hold on to that. In October 1937, Ernie is suffering from lung cancer, clearly nearing the end of his life. Meanwhile, his younger son, Prince Louis, was preparing to get married the next month, and Ernie had hoped to live long enough to attend his son's wedding. Sadly, Ernie slipped into a coma and died on October 9, 1937, at the age of 68. Ernie's funeral was a state affair in Darmstadt, since he was the sovereign. His coffin was covered in the grand ducal flag of the House of Hesse and pulled by a horse-drawn gun carriage, Soldiers lined the streets, giving the Nazi salute as the coffin passed on its way to the church. Adolf Hitler sent a personal message of sympathy. It is important to note, because I see your face, Ernie himself is not a part of the Nazi party. Ernie had been warned about the Nazis by a Jewish headmaster named Kurt Hahn. But since other members of the family were part of the Nazi party, they had a very large presence at Ernie's funeral. I'm glad to hear that Ernie was on the right side of history there. Yes, Ernie was. So now that Ernie's dead, the wedding of Prince Louis was postponed until November 20th, 1937, six weeks down the way. I'm glad they could secure a venue. (laughs) This is still very soon after the death of Ernie, but Onor had hoped that a happy family occasion would bring some much-needed joy to the family that is in mourning, missing Ernie. The wedding was going to take place in London, and on November 16th, the Grand Ducal family, so this is George Donatus, Don is what he goes by, his wife Cecile, and their two sons, along with Onor, now a widow, and Onor's lady-in-waiting, and Prince Louis's best man, all get on a plane for the wedding.
1: I don't like this.
0: Don and Cecile had a daughter. She's 14 months old. Johanna, she was left behind in Darmstadt because she was considered too young to attend the wedding. You should not like this, sweet summer child, as the plane crashed on the way to attend the wedding. An eyewitness described what they saw. I saw the airplane coming down out of the fog. It hit the chimney of the brickworks at a speed of about 100 miles an hour. One wing and one of the engines broke off and both crashed through the roof. The remainder of the airplane turned over and crashed to the grounds in the brick field about 50 yards further on, where it at once burst into flames. No one survived the crash. To add to the tragedy, Cecile was pregnant with her fourth child at the time, and the newly born baby's body was also found in the wreckage. The groom had lost his entire family and best friend in the crash. His father had died the month before. The only surviving family member now was his niece Joanna, whom he immediately adopted. Less than two years later, Joanna would die of meningitis.
1: Good Lord. A
0: funeral for the entire family was held November 23rd, 1937. The streets of Darmstadt again were lined with Nazi flags and soldiers. A young Prince Philip walked behind the coffins of his sister, brother-in-law, and young nephews. Hmm. Oh, tragedy. We got a little bit more tragedy to get through. Yay. To conclude. There's a lot. There's a lot of tragedy. See, why it's in two parts. It was too, it would have yeah. been too much for one whole story. The mind would have just boggled. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and get to Ducky's sad end. For it is the years of revolution and war that bring tremendous financial hardship to Ducky and her family. They took a major toll on her and Kirill's mental and physical health as well. Kirill actually suffered a severe nervous breakdown that he never recovered from. The wealth of the Romanovs was lost after the revolution, and Ducky really had to rely on her extended family members to provide them with even the most basic of needs. Ducky will, at this point, just like she always has, be very, very close to her sister Missy. Missy later writes a letter to her friend, Lord Astor, in 1935 that gives some insight into Ducky's situation. The letter reads in part, We were happy together and we talked much, as much we dared as either of us wanted to break down and certain depths cannot be touched without burning tears searing her already tired eyes. Her misery, both physical, mental, and financial, is so great that it has sapped her willpower. Her problems and difficulties are occasionally so devastatingly crushing, and no one near to turn to, no one to advise her to stop in and help. To help carry her burden no one efficient to discuss things, to move, to act, only she herself always, and never any recognition and never any joy, that finally, that magnificent, strong nature of hers is tamed, overcome, done with. This fills me with grief. Her strength has run out, a sort of gray despair sets in, a feeling that only death could liberate from the intolerable, crushing, overwhelming burden.
1: Well, that sounds terrible.
0: As it is, by what I give her that she lives, she has the feeling that she won't ask more of me, even when it all gives out. Now that I have made her swear that if she feels at the end of her tether that she should send out a cry, that she should simply telegraph, try and come, Through the horror of what happened to her in her married life, she has learnt to doubt of all men. Let us three at least, Missy, Lord, and Lady Astor, teach her that this is wrong, and let us try, by continual effort, to show her that there are some who feel and mean what they say. In February 1936, while attending the christening of her youngest grandchild, Ducky suffered a massive stroke she lived until March the first between the stroke. And when she died, Ducky was paralyzed on one side of her body and could only speak a few words that were nearly unintelligible. Her sisters, nieces and children surrounded her during her last days at her death. Missy wrote to the asters to inform them of Ducky's passing. It read the whole thing was tragic beyond imagination. A tragic end to a tragic life. She carried tragedy within her. She had tragic eyes always, even as a little girl. But we loved her enormously. There was always something mighty about her. She was our conscience. When he betrayed her, she did not know how to forgive, so she allowed him to murder her soul. From then onwards, her strength became her weakness her undoing. She was too absolute. She could not overcome herself. There is an unbearable tragedy in it all. Princess Victoria Melita of Edinburgh, Grand Duchess of Hesse and Rhine, Her Imperial Highness Grand Duchess Victoria Fedorovna, Ducky, was laid to rest in the family vault in Saxe Coburg. Missy found it difficult to leave Ducky's grave telling the others that she always hated being alone. Muriel Buchanan, the daughter of the last British ambassador to Imperial Russia afterward, wrote that Ducky, quote, had died a bitter, disappointed woman whose brilliant personality had been warped by failure and frustration. Now she was alone, but at last the passionate often misunderstood child who had grown up into a disappointed woman, was at peace. And that, my darlings, is the conclusion of the sad and tragic tale of First Cousins and their trashy family, Ducky and Ernie. That was so much. So much to that story, and I find a lot of people don't know about Ducky and Ernie. I hadn't heard of them. Some of the lesser-known grandchildren, but so influential mm-hmm. in everything that's happening with the story you wouldn't believe unless it happened in real life.
1: Yeah, it sounds like their personal lives became part of the machinations of a particularly unstable time in European events. I think all the trashy
0: crowns in this story go to Queen Victoria. Fair Don't (laughs) matchmake. Quit meddling. Quit meddling. Also, if you're going to matchmake, find a different family tree, for goodness sakes. So much. This is a little bit of integral information that's going to come up in future stories. I promise I'm going to get to something a little bit happier next week. I may take us out of this time period for just a moment to talk about one of my very, very favorite Trashy Trashy Stories, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for spending your time with us today, telling your friends about Trashy Royals, your kind emails, your kind reviews, as well as your support over at patreon.com slash Royals Podcast.
1: And if you enjoy this type of trashy take on things, please check out our other podcast, Trashy Divorces comes out Wednesday and Sunday on whatever podcast player you listen to. We got this trashy
0: market cornered. It's ours. Back off, Zarina. (laughs) We own this
1: block, Alex. (laughs) And until we are back with you next week, I hope you polish up that crown. I hope you keep your eye on the throne. It's changing
0: really fast around here. It is. Have a wonderful rest of the week, friends. Can't wait to see you next Thursday. Bye. Bye.